It's Friday, May the 1st, and we are studying 2 Peter. We're in 2 Peter chapter 2. And the context, if you look up here, is the uh, false teachers. The false teachers who greedily exploit the people, and we are to be on guard against them. And we're supposed to remember that they're in trouble with God. Their condemnation and destruction is coming. And so we had these examples, which we took a little excursus last time to talk about, perhaps at a level we didn't need to, but there we go. Uh, and then we want to get into verse 5 here, talking about those angels that he didn't spare. He didn't spare the angels. And now we learn in verse number 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, very familiar story, a herald of righteousness with seven others, uh, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So we got all these if statements that we're going to continue to pile up here for if God didn't do that and if God didn't do that, then clearly he's going to bring judgment on the false teachers. But not only that, the sub-theme here is, and he's going to deliver those who trust in him and uh, will be protected against the judgment of God as God judges the false teachers and those who uh, are exploited by them and uh, follow after them. So the idea here of the flood is very important. Let's take a look at this. He did not spare the ancient world, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And we see the reason for the flood back in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, the Lord saw the wickedness of man and it was great, so it was really bad in the earth. And look at this pile up of superlatives. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. So that's a big statement about how bad things were. We've seen a lot of bad periods in biblical history after the flood, like the judges, where things were bad and everyone did, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But here we have a statement that is just so, so severe, every, uh, so serious, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So it was a bad, 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 bad situation. Later on in verses 11 and 12, it says, now here's a different description, same problem. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. So this is a terrible place to be living. We can only imagine how bad it was when every intention of the heart was evil all the time, continually. Uh, God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt, messed up, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So that is the purpose for bringing the flood. Uh, and you know that there was this, this man and his wife and his three kids and his three daughter-in-laws that were spared. They were preserved, which is the sub-theme here. Not only are there false teachers that will be judged, but we are going to need to be those who stand apart from them, as Noah stood apart from his evil culture. And it says here in verses 8 and 9, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a, here's the description, a righteous man and blameless in his generation. I just dealt with this recently, the idea of blameless on a call-in show, I think it was. The idea of blameless does not mean in terms of the blamelessness of God, does not equate itself to God's perfection. Uh, in the Bible, when someone is called good or someone's called holy or someone's called blameless, these are relative terms, of course. Uh, they're not like the others in society. They stand apart as uh, pace setting, and Noah was that. He was blameless in his generation as just uh, we can be blameless today in terms of our righteous and moral behavior, even though it is not perfect. And we know only Christ is perfect. As Jesus said, when the rich young ruler came, he called him good teacher. He says, no one's good but God alone. Uh, so we've dealt with that, I think, even in Second Peter here. So he's going to preserve Noah. And we know the story. Uh, look here at this picture. This is usually how it's depicted. It's all a very happy scene. We decorate our kids' 
uh, nurseries with them. Uh, but let's just put a big X through that because that's not uh, what we're dealing with. It wasn't uh, a little boat with happy um, animals and happy little fish here in the sea. This was a time of severe judgment, obviously. Doesn't mean that this wasn't the case. It was a uh, place to preserve that God had chosen to preserve the animals and the people, obviously, most importantly. And I just want to point this out. The word is ark, and I've said this many times before, but an ark is just a box. Even today, the depictions of the ark, even when they're blown up into big size, they look a lot like boats. Uh, it's not a boat, it's an ark. Uh, so here's some pastor that made a replica of the ark in terms of its proportions. And I like his depiction here because it's it's a box. That's what it is. It's just a big box. Uh, ark means box or a barge, we might say. It's not intended to go anywhere. It's just intended to float, which is exactly what it did. So we have a, a box, an ark, and that ark, according to uh, the scripture, it took 100 years to build, the Bible says. It was made for stability. It was a hundred, oh, sorry for my bad handwriting, 150 feet long, and it was 45 feet tall, and it was 75 feet wide. So this is, by the way, a uh, tremendous accomplishment, obviously, in the ancient world. Matter of fact, the beam of what it was uh, in terms of a beam of a boat, it's as large as you could actually possibly physically get with a wooden beam. Uh, this right here would produce about 100,000 square feet of space. Uh, as people have rightly pointed out, about 522 railroad boxcars. Um, you got to remember that the animals that were collected, it says are according uh, to its kind. Uh, we're not talking here about the uh, species. We're talking about uh, the kinds of animals, maybe Genus is a better word for it. Uh, so we've got probably about 16,000 different animals. You've got seven pairs of clean animals and uh, a pair of unclean animals. And that uh, would constitute really about 16,000 animals. And if the average size is the size of a sheep, then you've got about 50, at most 60% of the ark capacity filled. Uh, so the Bible says this is what God did. He drew them in and preserved the animals as well as Noah. That's the picture. It's a universal flood, which I don't think we should forget. Look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 19. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth uh, that, look at these supreme uh, or superlative words here, that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered and the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubics deep. So this is a universal flood and there's lots of things that should remind us of this if you think about the fact that this ancient world the whole world was flooded uh, we have a very different world after the flood and I, I like to point this out when I think about the difference and consider the difference of the world and and one of the things that makes this a very different environment for human life and even animal life and why we probably saw uh, no doubt the distinction of the dinosaurs during this period of time after this period of time was because of the hostility of the of the of the earth the inhabitable earth it was much different uh, we speculate the waters above created some kind of uh, greenhouse which i think is a legitimate um theory in part because the catastrophic nature of how it affected people's lifespans. Look at this, Adam, just these ages here, uh, 930, Seth, 912, Enosh, 905, Enoch, 365, but remember he was taken up in the middle of his life. Methuselah, of course, we know him as the oldest man, 969, at least the oldest man that was recorded in the Bible. 
Lamech, Noah. These guys were living a long time. And then after that, we have a precipitous drop in ages. We go from Shem, three, uh, 800, Eber, six, uh, 464, Terah, father of Abraham, 205, Abraham. It just continues to go down. Matter of fact, it would be better for us to plot it this way. You can see on the screen, we had a pretty consistent, at least with all those that were described in the Bible, living here almost a thousand years. And then after the flood, this precipitous drop in ages. And you know, when you look at these early descriptions of people in the Bible, the patriarchs uh, of the Old Testament prior to the flood, the antediluvian uh, world, you see they're describing uh, death at an old age, and then you end up having that continually adjusted, even in descriptions of dying at a good old age. Uh, matter of fact, I, I jot a couple of these down here. Uh, when uh, Samuel, for instance, uh, he was considered old when he was 98. Well, you certainly weren't old back in Abraham's day at 98. Uh, or David was full of days, it said, at 71. We just read about that in our DBR. But look back in the, in the post-flood period of time when we have Abraham here at 175. And it speaks of him uh, being full of years when he died. Well, which is it? When, you know, are you old at 175 or are you old at 71 years old or 90 years old? Uh, the distinction in this is helpful because we see that this had to be a, a universal flood. It had to be something catastrophic that changed the way people actually survived on this planet. Um, and I, I think that is a, uh, a helpful way for us to consider this. Even when you look at this psalm, and so, pe so many people misread this, uh, and we think about this one statement here in verse 10, the years of life are 70, and, or if reason of strength 80, and we think, well, right there, that's pretty much the average today. That's not what's going on here. Remember, uh, Moses and Joshua they live to be uh, 120 and 110 respectively, but the promise was judgment during the uh, wilderness wanderings. And this is the Psalm that Moses wrote. It's the only Psalm that we have of Moses. And this is all about God's judgment on a people. This was a sad thing. This is like people dying in their 30s or 40s. He says, uh, for we are brought to an end by your anger. They're in the middle of God's judgment. And by your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set our, our iniquities before you. They didn't believe the spies. By the way, a lot of that was going on in the secretness of their heart. They didn't have trust in God. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days path, pass under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or if reason strength, 80. Remember, they're in the wilderness wanderings right now. The span of life is toil and trouble. They're not eating leeks and onions by the Nile anymore. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So remember, even these statements here, though it may be our lifespan now in a world that's even different, even more different, at least the genetics are weaker than they were during the patriarchal period of Abraham, um, this was a statement of judgment. So I know we always jump into this passage and think, there we are right there. Uh, this was a sad statement about a lifespan that at least at the time of Abraham and Joshua was uh, well over 100, 120, 110 years as a uh, fairly average lifespan. Anyway, that may be too much information just to make clear to you that there is a universal aspect to this flood. It says here he's a herald of righteousness, which is an interesting word. Uh, and we don't have any biblical descriptions of him preaching, but we do have, as we said earlier, a description of him being a righteous and blameless man. Or later in chapter 7, it says, uh, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. He actually becomes a uh, a reminder, a, 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 
a name that is remembered in Scripture as a righteous standard. Uh, here God is promising to judge uh, Israel, or Judah in this case, and uh, if the promise, as it looked at this coming Babylonian captivity, which was really, we're in the midst of it here in Ezekiel, uh, he says, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. Again, reminder that since the Bible's clear, there is no one righteous, no, not one. We're talking about absolute righteousness in those theological texts. We're talking here about a relative righteousness and the relatively righteous men of the Bible, he lists three of them, Ezekiel does. One is his contemporary, which, I mean, it's amazing. Most people think about godly people being long gone. Daniel must have been. It's the only biblical character, at least in these three, that is not listed in scripture as having sin. Uh, not, I mean, obviously he was not sinless as Romans three says, but Noah, certainly a righteous man. And if he were to speak, he would speak righteously. And yet there are extra biblical historians talking about Noah's life, including the, uh, as it says here, herald, uh, uh, carux, uh, that means preaching, comes from the Greek word caruso, which is to proclaim and to speak, uh, you know, God's truth uh, as, a, as a preacher. It means preacher. You only use three times that descriptive carux in the New Testament. Two times it's translated uh, in Paul's epistles as a preacher, but here it uses the word herald. These are the works of Josephus. You remember he was the conscripted historian by the Romans, the Jewish historian. He speaks of Noah's day and he says, but Noah's very uneasy with what they did, his generation. And being displeased at their conduct, he, here's the reference we have at least in Josephus, to him persuading them to change their dispositions. And that was certainly the understanding and the historical. And in this case, we have extra biblical history reminding us that he did preach. He was a preacher. Uh, and their acts for the better. He wanted repentance, but seeing that it did not yield to him, they didn't listen to his preaching. They were slaves to their wickedness, or their wicked pleasures, rather. He was afraid that they would kill him and his family. So the idea of him being a herald of righteous, no, righteousness, no biblical examples of that preaching, but clearly the understanding of him being the preacher. Well, more on all of this, at least the principle here, that God is going to uh, bring the judgment on the evil, but he is going to spare and preserve the righteous. These are the themes in our passage, and we'll continue our study through this as we get more examples in the next text in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. That all starts on Monday. So we'll see you back here Monday. Be sure to comment if any of this has been helpful to you, or you can uh, add some, uh, some good, encouraging comments on the comment thread. That'd be great. Be sure to subscribe. We'll be back Monday with more of 2 Peter chapter 2.